Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are talking quarterback plays. The Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 245. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with a couple of guests here this week. First up, I was really excited to sit down and talk with Eagles pass game coordinator and quarterback coach Press Taylor in what is now the second of our Coaches Masterclass series. Now, if you missed last week's episode with Jeff Statlin, you got to get over to the Eagles YouTube page. You got to check that out because while I played chunks of that discussion here on the podcast you know, that were audio friendly, you really need the full experience with the film breakdown because there are just so many great coaching points that you won't get here on the pod. But still, some awesome stuff from Coach Stout last week. And that is the case once again this week with Press Taylor because he and I are talking about all of the different types of progression reads that a quarterback goes through on any given play. A lot of you are aware of this, but maybe there's some. I mean, there aren't any, but a quarterback doesn't just drop back to pass and scan the entire field waiting for someone to get open because every play has a designated process for him to find the open receiver and make the throw as quickly and efficiently and safely as possible. But there are differences in all of them and what they're trying to do, and that's going to be the crux of my conversation with Coach Taylor in a really fun chat. Now, after that, we're getting to sit down with one of the biggest names in the business when it comes to quarterback trainers as Quincy Avery joins the show to just you know continue that discussion about quarterback progressions, but with more of a focus on the mechanical side of things, you know, just how a small tweak here or there can be all the difference between a huge completion and a turnover or really an errant throw. And, and so we're talking about the biggest position in sports today, a ton of quarterback talk, but let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Really happy to be joined this week by Eagles passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach, Press Taylor, to kind of talk through quarterback progressions. And Press, uh, thanks for joining us here on on the segment. Really, really excited to dive into this conversation because so often I'm talking with fans and talking with media and even myself when I'm watching football, watching the game, I'll sit there and say, why did the quarterback not make this throw? This guy's wide open. There's a lot of reasons why uh, some of those things may look like that for the naked eye, but I'm really excited to kind of dive into this with you and just talk about the different progressions, uh, the different types of reads that could be asked of a quarterback on any given play. Right, and I, I think part of it comes from what you're trying to accomplish with each play. So what you're seeing from the defense, what you're trying to accomplish a lot of times, if you have five guys out in a route, we can't tell the quarterback you're getting all five are really truly an option at every single given point in time. You know, you got to accelerate his vision. Unfortunately, we don't have forever to throw the ball and look through everybody. So you want to really, by accelerating his vision, as we'll say, we want him to key a certain defender based on coverage. Sometimes he has to identify the coverage pre-snap to know where he's going to see things, or sometimes it's going to happen post-snap. And a lot of times, even if there's a pre-snap read, there's a post-snap confirmation to know what I'm seeing. There's going to be some things that are man or zone combinations. If it's man, you work this side. If it's zone, you work that side. It's going to change 
as he identifies coverage and how he does things in certain times. There's some where it's going to be what we'll call pure progression, where if one's open, one gets the ball, regardless if it's man or zone, this is how you're playing. This is how you're reading this concept. So there are some intricacies to it. And a lot of times when we're talking about who we're reading, how we're manipulating coverage, a lot of times you're talking zone coverage because then we're able to really stress certain defenders. Man coverage, a lot of times it's matchup football. It's who's running what route on the best matchup. There's going to be times where our number one receiver is out there, but he's being followed by the number one corner. And that's a good matchup for us at times, but maybe our tight ends on linebackers is the, is the ideal matchup in this man coverage. So sometimes that, that comes into play as well. But getting into, again, our, our reads against zone coverage, we'll start with what we call a vertical stretch. There's going to be a defender on the field, and we're getting a high-low stretch off this player. We're going to have somebody over the top of him in his zone and somebody underneath. Ideally, we bait him to come down underneath, and we're able to throw the ball over his head. And a lot of times, these will be our smash family combinations. Somebody in the flat with a guy coming over the top of that. And sometimes we may have to run something to clear out a, a deep element here. Press, is it always like a, a, a touchdown to check down kind of thing where you're working deep to short, or does that change based on the play? It really kind of changes based on the play and the area of the field, okay. you know, depending on protection. We, we know that if we're in a true five-man protection, we're not going to be able to hold the ball and launch it down the field. So a lot of times the route concept has to marry that. So as game planners, that's our responsibility for doing that. And then the quarterback understanding the intent of the play. If we want to launch the ball down the field, a lot of times there's six, seven, maybe eight guys in protection knowing we need some help. We need to have some double teams up front because asking your guys just to hold up in protection all game is, is a recipe for disaster. Uh, again, to just kind of highlight it for the viewers and the fans at home, vertical stretch, you're trying to put one defender, a zone defender in a bind. If it is man coverage, if the quarterback has an idea that it's man, you're trying to play on off a matchup. But if it's a zone coverage, you get that look pre-snap. You're trying to put that guy in a bind, some kind of a high-low read, putting someone in front of him and someone behind him. Absolutely. There's the vertical stretch, and then we talk a lot about like a horizontal stretch. Take us in through, what what does that look like? A horizontal stretch would be more so putting two guys on the same level uh, out in front of the guy. We're basically picking the guy based on what we think the coverage is going to be. There's going to be different guys you want to attack in single high coverages or two high coverages. So we're, we're picking different guys on the field. In this case, it's a quarters look, meaning four deep guys have the they split the deep part of the field into fourths, and they're going to each be responsible for a section. So in this case, we're attacking this quarter safety to the boundary. So now we're stressing him. You've got your tight end going vertical at him, and as he breaks out, if he passes a certain distance, that guy now owns him is what we'll call. So he has to take him to that responsibility. Now we're running the post route outside, and again we're building that stretch on the quarter safety right here. We've gotten him to take the tight end into the corner and it opens up the post in behind here by Jordan Matthews in this picture you're seeing. The quarterback's responsible for knowing who we're trying to manipulate based on the coverage we see and what we anticipate a lot of times. That's that's play calling, that's game planning, all sorts of different ways. How much of that is talked about over the course of the week? Is that something that gets almost day one, like Wednesday, that's point A in a, uh, the first meetings that you guys have? Or is that to happen like later on in the week where you're talking about you know what the, what the other team is going to do schematically? Yeah, from from the get go, that's what we're talking about. I mean, as as we watch on, as coaches, when we Monday when we dive in, we're trying to look at what are their top coverages. Okay, how do we attack these coverages? 
Who are we attacking? How are we going to do that? How are we going to high-low this hook player? What are going to be the combinations of routes that we get to, to do this? And then you sell that to the quarterback. Okay, we see a lot of this. Here's what we're trying to get to. Here's how we're going to attack this player. And we do it a number of different ways. There may be three concepts that to everybody else, to the defense, they look very different. But from the quarterback standpoint, where his eyes go, who he's focusing on, it's the same thing for him. And that that's, that's when a game plan is really good. When the quarterback is seeing it, a bunch of different plays seen the same way. We create that illusion of complexity, but for the quarterback, it's all the same. We're just trying to stretch a flat defender. We've got this defense in base coverage. They're asking a guy that typically rushes the passer to be a flat defender. So we, we really like these matchups. This is what our t- two tight ends can give us. We feel like if you want to play base personnel against our 12 personnel look, we've got better receivers on the field than you do cover guys. So right here, we're just going to pull a flat defender out of the picture and clear room for a stick route from Brent Selleck right there. It's simple. It's effective in certain instances. But again, it's underneath. We know it's not a sexy play. It's a five, six-yard gain. But we're attacking the coverage that we anticipate. Quarterback knows exactly who we're trying to stress and what we're keying right here. So his his eyes are going to immediately go here. But this is a time, too, where maybe as a casual observer, you'd see a slant route to the field and say, oh, the slant route won. Why didn't he go there? Well, he's seeing the coverage a certain way, and he knows we're just trying to stress a flat player here to the boundary. We do a great job of it. We get a quick completion. It's thrown on time. It's accurate. We drop step. We end up with an 11-yard gain in quick game. We're, we're excited. We're ecstatic as a coaching staff right here on this play. It's funny, too. You talk about the slant route to the field. I can't tell you how many times I'll post a shot of, of a stick concept just like this, and everyone will say, the number one receiver, the vertical routes wide, <laughs> wide open. But that's just not, that's not the way that the progression is set for, for those concepts. Exactly. And there's a time and a place. I mean, every route on the field has a reason. And sometimes there, there are routes that we'll say, you know, we'll tell a guy, hey, this is for the love of the game, man. We need you right here. And, it, and it's on us as coaches to communicate that. If you're going to ask a guy to do something, they know they're smart, but we explain it. It's part of the big picture here. You're going to lift the deep third of the coverage out of here so your buddy can open up on this dagger route right here. But we're going to build something on later on the game plan for you to have a, a chance to be the feature guy. You know, things like that. You got to give them the bone if they're going to do something like that as well. So our guys do a great job of that, a big picture understanding, I think, too. I think, too, when you have a guy like Carson that uh, you know can make some of those second reaction plays and make those plays outside of structure, those guys, maybe if they're not early in the progression, they know they have to be able to stay alive and be on their P's and Q's because you know if something does break down, if the snap is dropped or you know something happens where Carson has to break off that, they've got to be available for him as well. Exactly. And, and that is probably a lot more nuanced than people would think, too. Those scramble rules, we work a lot of that. And a lot of that we work in our off-season program, which we're not getting the benefit of right now. But uh, training camp, you'll work those things, like you're saying. It's second reaction, but it it's choreographed a little more than it may look like at times. The next portion here is just going to our, our pure progression. Now it's not really – we're not trying to identify coverage necessarily. Quarterback's going to pure progress. If one is open, throw it to one. If not, here comes number two. And you're going to – a lot of times you're going to read these like you'd read a book, just across the page. Part of this is when you get really good as a quarterback, you know where the issues are in some of these concepts. And so I may, there may be a one, but if they play a certain coverage, one's not really an option. So how quickly as a quarterback, can you process that information and eliminate guys? I think that's really what processing is for quarterback is being able to eliminate quickly. I I believe that was the play. Was it against the Arizona Cardinals in 2017 where uh, Torrey Smith uh, went for the deep post for a touchdown where he quickly saw, you know what, like 
with the depth of the safeties pre-snap, like I'm going to get right off of one, two, three. I'm going right to number four or number five. It might've been where, wherever Tory yeah. was uh, in that progression. But, you know, just having that understanding of what the defense was showing pre-snap and say, you know what, forget what's going on here. I'm going to go over the top on this one. Exactly. And there's times we'll call those alerts. So here's your progression, mm. but that route over there is your alert. So an alert, sometimes it's versus certain coverage. If you see this coverage, that's alive. Otherwise, it's really not a factor in, in this certain progression. And so quarterbacks, sometimes those are deeper shots. They get excited and they're looking for those. And so you you build those in through this is your outlet if you get the certain look and that's it. So our guys do a good job identifying that. A lot of these are good versus man or zone, all these different coverages. But quarterback, now I don't have to identify as much. Just progress across the page like we've asked. And this is each part of it has a place and a game plan. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's not that any one type of read is better than the other. You, you still have to mix in all these different things because you don't want the defense to kind of key in on, uh, you know, what the quarterback is trying to do either, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and a lot of it comes from game planning. You watch and you see what coverages you face. And so certain plays may not be in each single week. And then you're looking for when they play, man, what are our matchups? Who are our matchups? How do we get them there? How do we get – Zach Ertz on a linebacker or Dallas Goddard on a linebacker or Zach on a safety that can't cover or how do we get our better receiver in the slot against this cover guy or if we know they're not going to flip their corners how do we get our best receiver on the guy that we deem to be the the lesser corner in man coverage and then identifying what situations will they play certain zone coverages and how do we attack that that's kind of the chess match of it all. To me, like getting into this conversation, I feel like I uh, just wanted to give fans a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And I'm guilty of this too. You know, we grow up, we play Madden, we play, you know, NCAA football, and we just drop back and we just throw to one of the open receivers. It's the, it's the, a lot more layered, uh, a lot more nuanced than that on every given play. It is. And then, and then there's also the point that there's at any given time, four or five, maybe six guys trying to take your head off as well. So it's got to happen in a certain timing, and that, that's, a, that's a big element of it as well. So it all goes together, the protection, why the quarterback takes three steps here, five steps here, what we're trying to affect. And then there's times within a game you get to certain – maybe you get to quick game because your quarterback's been under pressure or your line, it helps your line sometimes to call different protections. So sometimes it's a quick game so your line can, can cut guys quickly because the ball's going to be out so quick. Uh, so all that comes into play, and it matters how everybody's playing and what you're trying to feature. You've worked with a lot of quarterbacks over your career. Do you guys have favorites in terms of like the kinds of reads that they like to go to? Hey, like I really prefer uh, high-low stuff. I really like horizontal stretch. Do they have favorites, or most guys just feel comfortable across the board? Absolutely, absolutely, guys have favorites. So there's there's a time and a place, and you know which quarterback likes what. So. Our offense doesn't change when we change guys, but we're going to feature certain things because this guy does this really well. And maybe he did it in college, or maybe he's just really comfortable with this type of read. There's some guys that don't love all these guys crossing the middle of the field because they just feel like there's a lot of people in there when they're working their way through it. So sometimes they just want guys to kind of stay where they are. And you, you find ways to manipulate, build these similar concepts and manipulate those zones by different ways. Great stuff from Coach Taylor. And again, that is a video-centric piece. I I tried to clip out some parts that I felt would be fine for the audio-only part of this podcast, and I did need you to rely just a tad on your imagination, on your mind's eye. But uh, if you like these pieces of the discussion, make sure you go and check out when this thing drops later this week. Again, it'll be on the Eagles YouTube page Thursday, May 28th, 12 Eastern time uh, for Eagles Coaches Masterclass presented 
by Lincoln Financial Group. Now, last week's with Coach Stoutland was awesome. It was a ton of fun. Uh, that one was all about breaking down all the differences between zone run schemes and gap or man uh, blocking schemes. So you don't want to miss that discussion either. But uh, really, really fun chat with Press Taylor. Hope you guys enjoyed this part here on the pod. Hope you guys really enjoy the video segment when it drops on Thursday afternoon. So we talked about the mental part of a quarterback in terms of going through progressions. Now, let's talk about the physical part of this. And I caught up with Quincy Avery. Again, he's a trainer, works with some of the best quarterbacks in the league to talk about quarterbacks, their mechanics when they're going from one read to the next, and what needs to happen for that to happen naturally. And here's that interview right now. Well, really excited to welcome back to the show a guy that has joined us here, uh, not just on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, but also on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA, uh, Quincy Avery, one of the best quarterback coaches uh, in the entire country. Quincy, welcome to the show, man. Really appreciate you joining us here. No, I appreciate you having me on. Excited to talk some ball. Before we get into talking about quarterback progressions and the mechanical part from the lower body, I'm excited to kind of just let you set the table here. Tell the fans, like, how did you get into the role that you've got? You know, how did you get to where you are today? And who were a bunch of the guys that you've worked with and are working with now? Yeah, I had an interesting road, but I'll just start. I started coaching off at uh, UCLA, did that for two and a half years, got out of that, and I wanted to get into the private training sector of things. Moved out to Atlanta. One of the first guys I got was Josh Dobbs, who's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and worked with a bunch of guys since then, like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Dwayne Haskins, Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, I, I got a long list of guys, both in the NFL and college, but I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the best guys around the country and help them develop and grow their game. All right, so I have to ask you, give, give us one good like Jalen Hurts nugget. Well, why should Eagles fans be uh, fired up about Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts is going to bring an interesting dynamic to the quarterback room just in terms of his focus, leadership, and his ability to connect to guys, like his connectivity with guys. He, he has the ability to do that really, really quickly. Guys are going to buy into the things he's doing. I mean, he's going to be able to bring an added element to the quarterback room. Like you don't go draft a guy in the second round if you don't plan on um, using him, being creative, creative with him. And when he gets on the field, I think he's going to be a, a big element to, you know, who you guys are as an offense and, what you guys can do. Love it. All right. So let's get into, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we're talking about here. And I, and I told you kind of what we covered earlier with press Taylor, right? We talked about the vertical stretches. We talked about some horizontal stretches and pure progression reading. So uh, the listeners have gotten a little bit of a, a look into what the quarterback is asked to do mentally and all those different things. Now I want to get into what he's asked to do physically and how, you know, the, the lower body, your feet have to be married with your eyes. Love to get into this conversation with you. Is there anything that you want to say, I guess, to just kind of kick things off uh, before we kind of go read by read here? Yeah, so we talk about a lot in terms of being feet tied to eyes. I think one way to to explain it better is to say eyes tied to your feet. So your eyes send your feet where to go. And as we start looking at some things, you'll see if your feet get there before your eyes, it's going to take you a split second longer to make the throws because your feet won't be set to where you got to get to, right? So if I see number one's taken away, what you want to do is have your eyes find number number two or the next read in the progression then your feet match with that so that you have the ability to throw it as soon as your feet get there, not vice versa, because if your feet get there, you're only guessing or getting in a general area of where your body should be aligned to in terms of the target. And then you see it, then you'd be forced to reset your feet again and then make the throw. Your eyes have to be the scope and just really kind of uh, you know set the target. Now your feet can get locked in from there. That is exactly what I'm saying. 
That makes sense to me. All right, so kind of get into this for real quickly. What you're talking about lower body mechanics. Everybody talks about you, know, especially we just got out of draft season, right? So everybody talks about the, you know this guy's mechanics, that guy's mechanics. Real quickly, what can be fixed? What can be tweaked? What are some things that you feel philosophically? It's like, all right, these are the things that you could work on. These are the things that you know maybe are a little bit tougher to try and alter from a guy, you know, long term. You know, lower body mechanics are some of the easier things to manipulate, especially with a guy. You can see something make dramatic improvements really, really quickly. I think that you see that with Jalen. Like, he didn't do a bunch of things under center prior to his experience with me and getting ready for pro day. But if you would have watched his pro day, you'd see, like, it was almost all under center. We wanted to show that we worked it and understood it and could do a good job. But the things that are most important is being having a great base, and don't be rigid in terms of what you think a guy's base should be. Everybody has their own, just like everybody has their own stance in a batter's box. Same idea, same principle, but they have to have a great base, great balance, and be consistent so their feet can strike when they're striding to a target at a consistent rate. Because stride frequency is the key in terms of getting the ball out of your hands. That's what you want to think about. Like, can he get his front foot in the ground? That's what determines his ability to throw the ball and release it quickly. So lower body mechanics, do they more affect velocity and like power as a thrower or accuracy and ball placement, or is it both kind of equal? Both. But ground force, your ability to put force in the ground is the number one determining factor in the force that you create. Now, getting your body set and like getting your eyes to targets and getting your body in a straight line to where you're throwing, that's going to allow you to be more accurate. But some of the best guys like Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz does a great job of this, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson – their feet don't always need to be in the best spot to make a throw. If they can disassociate their lower half or starting from their left hip, those are guys are all right-handed. If they can get their left hip rotated to, towards the target, get their shoulder rotated towards there, then they can generate enough energy on the ball. It's so funny you say that. Like it's so similar to what I talked with uh, Will Shields last week on the show. You know, thirteen-time Pro Bowl offensive lineman, and we're talking about hands and feet and how they're married together for offensive line. And he's like, "Look, good feet allow for good hand placement, but you got to be able to operate independently too, because it's at the NFL, it's not always pretty. You've got to be able to work off platform, and it's the same thing with quarterback." Yeah, if you don't have that ability now, especially in the game the way it's structured today, um, you're really not going to be successful. Right. Unless there's something that's so crazy, like you have this great offensive line. Like you see, that's why a lot of times you see guys struggle from the college to NFL jump because they don't have the coordination, the athletic ability to get themselves out of bad situations with the pure arm talent, the flexibility um, and the ability to do things independently, like you said, or perhaps separated from Laura. Coach me up here a little bit on what well, kind of group the, the vertical stretch and horizontal stretches kind of together. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what, are, what are some of the things you're looking for from a quarterback as he's dropping back to make that first primary read off of a key defender? Right. So those, those key reads, as I, I would call them, and yeah, vertical, horizontal stretch. But you want to be able to set your line and, and get yourself the last two steps of the drop if you're throwing off a of rhythm or hitch. But that's when you want to start taking your eyes and feet towards the target. You want to be able to set yourself up. I want to get the outside of my left foot, that the front part of my ankle. So if this is outside, you want to start getting that towards the target. Then with your last step, the inside of your right foot can get orientated there. And then you'll be in a straight line towards the target. So that's what you want to start thinking about at the top of your drop or the top of your hitch, getting there and setting to the target, right? So we set to number one. And typically in those vertical binds that we're putting guys in, the target is going to be in one line, right? Because we're thinking 
this guy's got to go forward or backward in terms of making the play to stop us. So we don't have to change our, our feet in, t- in terms of the way that they're orientated to get to target. Now, if we have those horizontal binds, which is a little different, we're going to set to that first read, right? And if we see the defender take it away or squeeze there, is a term that a lot of guys use, or squeeze and take it away, his eyes will work to the next read in his target. His eyes get there, his feet follow that, boom, and now we get in line with our back ankle being set to the target and making sure our hip gets there so that we don't have to put two feet down. It's eyes, back foot, can throw the ball right now. So I'm going to try and translate this as, as we go too. And, and again, co- like coach me up. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I feel like, I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, that not everybody played quarterback growing up, but a lot of people played baseball. Right. So we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, I remember like, you know, I coached young kids playing baseball in a previous life. And it was always like, all right, you want to point to your targets. So you want to point, make sure your shoulder is right with quarterbacks. And you're going through those initial keys. It's more about like your ankles and making sure your feet are right. Then your, your shoulder, your upper body will kind of follow off the feet. Is that, is that a, a correct assessment? Exactly. And, and a lot of guys, the way that we throw now is our shoulder may start a little bit open, but if our ankle's there, as we start a throwing motion, our shoulder can close and get there. Think about it in terms of somebody having an open stance in baseball, right? Got it. They may have an open stance, but their back foot is still going to be perpendicular to their target, right? So that's what you want to get to. And they open up and let that close. So that's why I talk so much about that back ankle, because everybody has a different way that they want their front foot, right? Because I'm going to let guys have the base that is most applicable to them. But you have to get to some key points, and that bank ankle is one of them. All right, so then as they're getting into that, you know, let's say they're reading a flat defender or a hook mm-hmm. defender. Uh, you know, they come off that key. You know, the, the, the guy didn't bite. It's the throw's not there. Now you're getting to the second part of the read. You want your eyes to get there first, then you, your feet follow off of that. Yeah, so my eyes will take me there, and then you'll see those guys' feet kind of pop up and down very lightly. You'll see that back foot get there, and they should be able to throw right now. And a lot of times when you see guys get behind, they get this back foot there and front foot there, and they land like this at the same time. Then they have to go again with their front foot, right? That's what causes guys to be behind. But if they can think about it, back foot gets there, lands, and now they're already ready to throw. That puts them in a situation to be on time on rhythm and ready to make the throws. And if it's not there, their front foot will come down and then they'll work to the next read in the progression. So it's not like a, a violent, like hop, 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 like from that standpoint, it should be like no. a little bit easier, more fluid. Yeah. And you'll, you, and you'll see that little black back foot just hit slightly before the front every time as they work through that progression. Gotcha. All right. So is there anything else that we want to hit on for in terms of those like initial key reads, or do you want to get onto the pure progression? A lot of times what you see guys do is, and I see the Eagles do this a lot, especially they have a vertical. They're putting a guy in a horizontal bind. They have to get one to two. Then the next thing that he usually gets to is a check down. So usually he's going one to two, get down to the back. And then the pure progressions, I'm going to just kind of bleed into them, right? Pure sure. progressions are going to allow him, you guys run a lot of like stick spacing, right? Where he's going to read almost five guys all in succession. That's that big wide horizontal bind you guys put guys in and you also gonna run a lot of mesh where it allows them to read almost a full field progression one two three and that last guy's almost four or five together 
Press made the, the analogy, other Coach Taylor made the analogy where it's like reading a page of a book. Like you're going to start on one side and you go one, two, three, four, five uh, across the width of the field. How hard is it to coach a guy's feet up if he's not used to making those pure progression style throws or maybe it just isn't comfortable making those kinds of reads? How hard is it to coach a guy up to kind of make sure that his eyes and feet are working together that way? You know, it's pretty easy to coach a guy up to do that in routes on air, individual <laughs> things, all, all those right. things. Yep. It's a lot different telling somebody to be that disciplined with their feet and their eyes when you have 300-pound yeah. defensive <laughs> linemen attacking. So that's that's why I think coaches in the traditional sense, their job is a lot harder than mine. My job is when I do things like the things I was working on with Jalen in terms of preparing him to go to the NFL, I like to over-exaggerate things, how far they're going to have to take their eyes and their feet and make it difficult in that sense, like put them in the worst position possible to do it. But the things that these guys are asking them to do is just so difficult to ask them to be that consistent when you got to not only work your eyes and feet through progression, but manipulate the pocket at the same time. So climbing and taking my eyes and feet together is a thing that they, they have to do. And that's the difficult part. I asked uh, Coach Taylor the same thing, and I'll ask you, do you work with guys that are, just feel more comfortable making one set of reads as opposed to a different one? You know, how, how often is it that a guy's like, oh, look, I just I feel really good making those initial key reads and then something off of that as opposed to pure regression or the opposite? There's a lot of guys I find like that who, who feel really comfortable one way or the other. Um, a lot of guys – like the limited rules that you have in peer progression because they know every time I go to the line of scrimmage, it's going to be read one to two to three to four to five. At the NFL level, the thing that these guys are dealing with is so much rotation, safety going this way, safety going that way. And that will change the key reads. I'm not sure how much you guys got into this, but when it changes the key reads, they have to be so much more prepared in terms of going to the line of scrimmage, understand what's going on, identifying those hots, and then thinking about this footwork that they're going to have to have in terms of getting them in and out of plays, it's it's a lot. It's a bear. So that's why I think a lot of guys have an easier time working through pure progression and key reads. Yeah. Um, and there's you can see it vice versa. Guys who really have a high level of preparedness because you know, all right, I'm putting just this guy to bind. I'm working to the next thing on, on those key reads. When you look at offenses, you know, and coaching staffs that, you know, I look at Doug Peterson, uh, I look at Kyle Shanahan and Sean Payton, guys that can give the quarterback as much information as possible pre-snap to help try and, you know, take some of that lift uh, mentally off the quarterback certainly kind of helps those guys play a little bit faster. Uh, you know, Press made the, the analogy, you know, the, or the saying earlier that, you know, we want to accelerate the read for them, make it a little bit easier so that, you know, they can kind of make sure that they're, they're they can focus on the things that are very important while the 300 pound men uh, are chasing them, trying to take their head off as well. What part of the lower body is most likely most common for these guys coming out of college that needs to be kind of corrected and tweaked and improved? Is there one aspect and it could be from the throwing mechanic part of it as well. What part of it is most common? You're like, all right, I know for a fact when this guy gets in, I'm, almost certainly going to have to help him tweak this part of it. Yeah. So this is going to sound weird, but so many guys throughout their careers as a quarterback, they've heard the term stand tall in the pocket, right? Stand tall in the pocket, but be athletic, right? You've probably heard that term in a lot of different things. And that is very, very detrimental to a lot of quarterbacks because they think that their upper body has to be straight up and down and then their legs have to bend. And if anybody's like at their computer or just listening, try that. Bend your legs and have your body straight up and down. You will be in the weakest position possible, right? You're in a much stronger position if your legs are straight and your upper body straight. So I have to teach them that we have to match our shin angle 
with our spine angle. That's going to let us generate more force in the ground, be more consistent of the thrower, and our head will move less as we make these throws. And the more my head stays straight, the more consistent and more accurate that I can be consistently over time. It's a lot like baseball, right? I compare hitting a baseball and throwing a football are the most comparable things in all the sports. Um, so that's that's a huge thing in terms of developing a quarterback and one of the biggest things that I find myself fixing over and over and over again. I feel like I made that analogy talking about the um, – or not the analogy, but talking about like a guy's head moving again, going back to offensive line. It was like a, a couple of months ago where uh, you're trying to watch an offensive lineman and you know how good his feet are. Sometimes it's not about watching his feet. I'm trying to watch his head. Like if his head is constantly rocking back, you could see that he's stressed in his pass set. It's going to be harder for him to be able to operate and strike a moving target and be able to rack, react to a pass rusher because his head is bouncing all over the place like a bobblehead doll. Uh, I guess it's the same thing with quarterback position. 100%. If you're ever grading a guy coming from college to the NFL, if you see a guy whose head's moving a lot, he's probably not going to be very successful. Quincy, dude, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for the insight into a guy's lower body mechanic getting through these progressions. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon here. Same to you and the fam. Great stuff there from both Coach Taylor and Quincy Avery, who you can follow just like I do on Twitter at Quincy underscore Avery. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And while we're talking about podcasts over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, don't look now, but there's another one dropping this week, a new podcast channel. And if you're an Eagles fan, you do not want to miss this. This podcast is called Return Game. The first episode of season one drops this week, and the entire first season is all about one game, the House of Pain game, when the Eagles destroyed the run-and-shoot offense of the Houston Oilers. And for more on that show and what it's going to be all about here in the coming years, here's a quick trailer. Eagles Entertainment. He fumbles the football and the Eagles have it! Welcome to Return Game, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation a new series from Eagles Entertainment. The Eagles pick it up after the block and get it into the end zone. Each season, we'll take a deep dive into the stories behind some of the greatest games, the toughest players, the iconic coaches, and the unforgettable characters in Eagles history. There's Cunningham. Dodges left and puts it way downfield for Fred Barnett, who has the catch. This podcast is your key inside the Eagles vault. An all-access pass unlocking archived interviews, original broadcast sound, as well as present-day recollections from the people who experienced the events firsthand. Going into that week one game, we thought, man, 91 was going to be the year he was really going to put it all together. Whether you bleed green or are green to the game of football, Return Game introduces the pass to a whole new generation, covering each story in depth from every angle and setting the record straight on the questions from that era. The Eagles are headed for the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 52. You may think you know these stories, but think again. Return Game unearths the mystique that made these players, coaches, and games into legends. Season 1 of Return Game, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, kicks off May 29th with the House of Pain game. They bring the house, we bring the pain.
I really can't wait for for this episode to drop. This first one later this week. Again, the podcast is titled Return Game. Wherever podcasts can be found, you can find that channel. You can go subscribe right now. Really, really good stuff. I cannot wait because they're talking with people that were involved with the House of Pain game, people that covered it, people that played in it, people that coached in it. It's going to be a lot of fun. You do not want to miss that episode. So make sure you go subscribe again wherever podcasts can be found. And when you're talking about promoting a podcast on social media, appreciate everybody that does so for this show, whether it's on Twitter, on Facebook. But the best way to support the show is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, give us a rating, leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout out to somebody who did just that. Eagles Siege left a five-star review saying just how much they love both the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast as well as the Journey to the Draft podcast. They left some really kind words, truly great reviews. So Eagle Siege, thank you so much. Appreciate you jumping on Apple Podcasts, leaving that review. And to all of you out there, now is the time. If you've got questions, whether it's about the Eagles or the NFL, just the game of football, X's and O's in general, now is the time. You can jump on, you can leave a question. I will answer it here on the show. Maybe I'll even make an entire episode off of it. Who knows? But uh, again, thanks so much to Eagle Siege for the review and the comment. And thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.